Hello, and welcome back to the Women's Soccer Podcast. I am your host, Liam Greco, but you may know me better as LGG. In today's episode, I will review the very exciting semifinal matches while previewing Sunday's final. Be sure to listen through the whole episode to hear about my take going into the final, my best 11 from the semifinals, and so much more. Thanks for listening, and let's get right. I wanted to start this episode talking about the goals of the match before we move into individual player analysis and tactics, and then, obviously, my starting 11 of the match day. So the first goal from the match number one was Salma goal, Salma Parolego's goal for Spain. I thought it was a really nice pass from Jenny Hermoso. It was a little off target, you know, it missed Parolego's original run, but one of her better plays in the match, one of her brighter spots. We'll talk a little bit later about her individual performance, which I thought wasn't the great. Jonah Anderson had a average match, but I think that that play was so bad. You cannot clear the ball. It was such a weak clearance. It was down the middle into Spanish traffic. She literally cleared it in the worst spot. There was not... There was... And there was not a worse spot to clear it to. She cleared it right into the direction of Paralelo, and of course Paralelo is going to finish it. I mean, that was an incredible finish, but Paralelo, Musevich had no chance of stopping that, but at the same time, that was, a de- again, a defensive fault. I mean, it was a very sloppy goal. It was a great finish by Paralelo, and I'm not, I don't take anything away from that. I think that it was very avoidable if they had just cleared the ball properly. Um... The Blumkiss goal for Sweden, that was a very great goal. I thought there wasn't a lot of criticisms in the defense. Great cross and cushion header from Sweden. It was a very beautiful finish into the top corner. A few questions could be asked, though, why Blumkiss was left unmarked a few yards outside of the six-yard box. And um, I think Catacola Net could have done better. I think it was kind of went right through her hands a little bit. I mean, she made a great diving effort for it, but it felt like it was just over her fingertips. Um, moving on to the Olga goal for Spain, it was that is an incredible finish. One of the best goals of the tournament. The best one we'll talk about a little bit later. But Olga should not have been left that unmarked. A player of her quality who can strike the ball that well should not be open at the 18-yard box. Um what Sweden was doing, I don't know. Aslani looked to be the person marking her, so I'm going to blame it on Aslani because she's the one who frantically tried to mark Cardona, but it was, you know, um, Olga, Olga, but it was too late, you know. Olga was in such a great space, um, and she just finished it, and she punished the bad defending from the, the Swedes, you know, and that is eventually what lost the Swedes the game. Moving on to the Australia-England match, the Toon goal, um, that marking was pathetic. Uh, the fact that Toon was given that much space, um, to I mean, she, that was a sublime finish, don't get me wrong, but she's such an incredible player, and I don't want to blame this on one person, but Katrina Gorey, even though she had a great, great match besides this play, she's the one who rushed to Toon afterwards. I'm not sure whether she was you know, marking tune on the build-up in the player if she was, like, assigned to keep an eye on tune, but um, you can't give a player that much space, you know, around around the same distance of the penalty spot, and that was a worldly finish from Ella Toon. No chance of Arnold stopping that. Um, the goal I was talking about earlier, Samantha Kerr's goal for Australia, is, might have been one of the best goals I've seen at this tournament, and maybe one of the best goals of all time in Women's World Cup. If you haven't seen it, go watch it online. Yeah, it was 
a bad pass by England, but England was on their attacking half of the field. And so for those who didn't see it, England made a a bad pass, which, you know, Australia took advantage of and they turned it over. And then Kerr, who was on her defensive side of the field, crossed midfield after getting a good, nice pass, dribbled, kept on dribbling. But the England defense never stepped, and I get get it. You know, Sam Kerr is the best women's forward in the world by far, if not the best women's soccer player. So you don't want to step because she's going to beat you. But at the same time, when you give her that much space, you, she's just going to keep on dribbling. And she just kept on dribbling, and then she unleashed one of the best strikes I've ever seen in my life from about 40 meters away from net, probably a little farther, 50, 60 meters. Um... It was a very incredible strike from Kerr. World-class finish of the tournament by far. And I think, you know, England bounced back from that with their with their second and third goals in the match. Lauren Hemp scored a goal on a great pass from Millie Bright. It was a nice switch of direction, a long ball. But the really pathetic um, that that was the way that Australia conceded after getting such a great goal the lack of communication between Carpenter and Arnold cost them the match because that goal was eventually what gave England all the momentum and to finish them off. And, you know, it was just, there was three Aussie players, including two defenders and Arnold, surrounding Hemp. So it looked like the attack was over, but Hemp, to her credit, was very resilient and had a perfect finish into the side netting. But at the same time, as a defender, you have to ask yourself, why didn't Carpenter kicked the ball out. She swung and missed at it. Um, it appeared that she tried to pass it back to the goalie twice. And then Lauren Hemp was like, thank you very much for that horrible defending. I'm going to tap this ball into the back of the net. You know, and it's really disappointing because Ellie Carpenter is such a great player. But on that play, she'll know it was her fault that they did not, um, that they gave up that goal. Last but definitely not least, Russo's goal was again created by... Lauren Hemp's resilience, getting the ball, running upfield, and played a perfect pass. Um, should he, she have been able to play that pass? No, because the Aussie defenders, again, like we talked about, they didn't step. I get you. I get you're not. You shouldn't dive in. But there's also a balance of giving too much space, and that was an instance where they were just able. The Aussie defenders were just able to make a tackle but they didn't and hemp was just like thank you very much and she just kept on dribbling and dribbling and dribbling beautiful pass into russo and a world-class finish but i think the real thing we have to talk about is steph catley who didn't look over her shoulder she didn't see russo behind her and she just jogged she just assumed that hemp's pass was going nowhere easily could have gotten a foot on it and then she kind of realized after the fact that russo was in on goal and she still ran pretty lazily. She didn't put in a challenge or anything. You know, it was really lazy defending by Catley, and she didn't run fast enough. She didn't track back fast enough. She was not nearly quick enough, and Russo's capitalized off of a very poor defensive mistake, which is a common theme that we saw in these two semifinal matches, which is really disappointing because overall the defending has been incredible at this tournament, and it's sad to see how some teams are getting sent home for silly mistakes after having such great tournaments. So now let's move on to some more general insights and tactics on both of the matches. So in these two matches, 
Um, a lot of players shined, and some players did not put their best foot forward. Starting with the first semifinal, Spain versus Sweden. Sweden is a much higher ranked, not much, but they are a higher ranked team, and yet they didn't really seem to show it. Musovic in goal didn't play great, I thought. Her passing wasn't good as well, 43%, long balls 25%, which I get it, you know, she's a goalie. Some people say that's not that important, but as a goalie, you're the spine of the defense, you're the spine of your team, and you have to be able to build out of the back. And her teammates on the back line were forced to make many errors. Amanda Illestead, 59% pass accuracy, 9% long ball accuracy. Her center back partner, Magdalena Eriksson, um, 64% pass accuracy, and 38% long ball accuracy. So that, I think that just kind of tells you the story is that the, the center back goalkeeper trio really failed to do their job today. And with such experience with Ericsson at 29 and Elisit at 30, they have so much quality. And I think it was really odd to see in my eyes how two center backs and a goalkeeper who has been one of the best goalies of this tournament failed to make any passes in those areas and I think that was just you know that kind of was a big lingering problem on this match is that the long balls were clearly not there I mean 9 36 and um 25 percent were the numbers of the long ball accuracy and then even with just short passing 43 percent from Musevich Elista didn't do much better at 59 percent and Erickson yes was the best at 64 but still I think that the passing accuracy was such a big thing for, if you, if you look over at Spain's squad, 78% from their goalkeeper, Cole, 88% from Laia Codina, and then her center back partner, Irina Paredes, at 76%. So what that tells me is those trio, the center back and goalkeeper duo of Spain, did much better at passing. And people may be asking, Liam, why do you focus so much on pass accuracy? Well, Pass accuracy and building out of the back is a very important part of soccer and I think, or football or whatever you like to call it. Um, and I think Sweden really just didn't have that today, which was kind of a problem because they love to build out of the back. You know, they, they don't always necessarily have possession, but every team has to build out of the back in some shape or form and they didn't really do that. The fullbacks did a little bit better, I thought. Um, Jonah Anderson had a fine game. Um, we talked about the goal mistake but overall besides that you know average match Natalie Bourne I thought was a really big bright spot again she was getting into the attack she had a lot of touches of 63 which is much um better than um when you look at players like Amanda Illestead who only had 49 along with Eric Magdalene Erickson who only had 53 was the number. So Bjorn was getting on the ball much more, making better passes, more, more made more for passes, much better pass accuracy at 69%. Um, Bjorn was a much better contributor to this team. And out of the back line, I thought, and goalie, I thought she was the best player by far. You know, not even if you look at, besides the analytics, if you keep on looking at the... Um, way that they played I think Natalie Bjorn playing for Everton in England they're a team that loves to build out of the back with last season they had Emily Ramsey and she'll be returning as their goalkeeper and I think that Bjorn is a player who will love to get on the ball and hopefully make a, a big impact this season for her club side with Everton now that she's out of the World Cup moving into the midfield I think that with the defensive midfield pairing of Angledahl and Rubinson, Rubinson was maybe the more unexpected player of the match for Sweden. 
at least from Sweden's side, with an 84% pass accuracy. Um, she was making, she was winning, won 100% of her tackles. She made a, four, a few good gases in the final third. She won half of her ground duels, which was more than her cent- center backs were winning, with um, Elastead only winning. Um, she won a hundred percent of her duel two only two duels and Erickson won fifty percent. But I just thought Rubinson was such a great contributor to this team. She kind of reminded me of the role that Emily Sonnet played for the US. Whereas Philip Engeldahl, you know, she didn't get as many touches on the ball, which I thought was really sad. With just forty seven, she didn't make as much of an impact in the final third. Um and I think the touches that Engeldahl got, she wasn't as effective with them, whereas um Rubinson who played less of the match than Engeldahl had a few less touches due to that, but she was being more effective with the touches that she got, and her passing was better at 84% than Philip Engeldahl's only 63%. Moving up to the attacking midfield line, Rolfo, Aslani, and Kenarid. Um Aslani had a pretty, eh, tournament. Um, at 33 years old, 34 years old, I think we've kind of seen how good she's played in these big tournaments. This tournament, it wasn't it for her. Rolfo had a good um, match, but overall could have been better, I think. Like, a lot a lot of areas she was lo- losing the ball. They, Anderson struggled to find her a lot of the times. Kennard was better on that side, but I don't think by that much. I mean, she had a much better fullback on the day with Bjorn, who was finding her more, but still just not good enough, I think, from this sweet side. Blackstanius was a bright spot, getting on the end of passes, um, doing a good job laying it off to her wingers and attacking midfielders, which is a very key part of the 4-2-3-1 system. But overall, they just struggled to find the back of the net in this match, only getting it in, only getting a goal once in the 90 minutes. Moving on to Spain, I thought Caddy Cole did a nice job in net along with Olga, Cadena, Paredes, and Betty on the back line. They held it down back there. Um, player of the match was um, Ab- Teresa Abeliare, Ab- um, the Real Madrid Feminino player. I mean, foot mob agrees with me on this one. She did a good job with getting the ball in the final third, and she was just kind of that distributing player who would help orchestrate the midfield. Puteas and Bonmati didn't have that great performance. Moving up top, Hermoso, really bad performance today. Um, I can't speak more highly of her as a player, but I think that the center forward position just doesn't work for her anymore as a striker. I think that she's more of a midfielder and now. I think she just isn't the finisher that we know her to be. Redondo and Caldente had, you know, notice, not really noticeable performances. They didn't really get a lot of final third action. Overall, the game was, again, pretty limited until um, Samaparolu came into the match and found the back of the net. Moving on to Australia and England, we'll start with the losing Australian side. Arnold didn't have a great game. Catley Carpenter had really woeful matches. Um, Polkenhorn and Hunt did, you know, fine. I thought Hunt was a little bit better, to be honest, throughout the tournament. Polkenhorn came in for an injured uh, Alana Kennedy. Hunt, just 24 years old, showed a lot of composure in this tournament. 
good passing abilities, great ability to win out of the back and recover the ball. A few mistakes, but that always, you know, will happen. Polkenhorn, with a lot more experience as these major tournaments, um, isn't a, you know, player who didn't play a lot this tournament, but she stepped in and did a nice job. Catley and Carpenter, I talked about them on the respective goals they conceded in the second half. They made a lot of mistakes there. Cadley only completed 58% of her passes, um, according to FootMob. Same, Carpenter did a little lot better with 86% passes, but Carpenter also kind of struggled with the in the final third, getting the passes into the final third. Um, and the 4-4-2 midfield, Ford and Rasso didn't really do much on the wings. Cooney Cross did a nice job in the midfield um, this whole tournament, but today wasn't really her day. Gory had a great match, I thought. Um, really nice job. We'll talk, uh, she's in my, hint, hint, she's in my 11 that we'll talk about later. Kern Fowler did a nice job up top as well. Fowler wasn't involved too much in this match, and Kerr with the beautiful finish. Moving on to the England side, Mary Earps didn't have much to do in net, but she made big saves when she was called upon. The England back line, again, didn't do much in this match. Did a nice job building out of the back. Bright with a great assist, but overall, nice job with England in the four midfield with the 3-4-3 formation. Um, it sometimes looked like a 3-5-2. In the midfield, I thought Daly and Bronze didn't do much. I thought Bronze did a lot more. Daly wasn't really involved in the game a lot. Walsh didn't have her best of matches, but I loved how Stanway's intensity was there throughout the whole 90, and Alatune's technical abilities in the final third were unparalleled to any player. Alessia Russo and Lauren Hemp both bagged goals in today's match and showed overall signs of class throughout the whole 90 minutes. So that's my player recap. Now let's move on to the 11, my best 11 from these semifinals. Now we're going to move on to the best 11 of the semifinals. I also made a substitutes bench, but you're gonna have to view our Instagram at the underscore women's underscore soccer underscore podcast to see the bench and yeah, and follow us over there while you're checking out the bench. On net, I have Mary Earps as my starting keeper, Olga Carmona as left back, Alex Greenwood as center back along with Millie Bright, Una Batia as my right back, Teresa Abieria as my defensive midfielder, along with Katrina Gori and Gorgia Sanway in the midfield. Up top, I have Lauren Hemp, Sam Kerr, and Salma Paroelo. Um, with forwards, I was mainly thinking about who was creating the most goal scoring chances, and yes, eventually scoring. So I chose three players that did score goals. Um, and then on my bench, I have a few other players who scored as well. I thought I loved, thought I loved, and I thought that Lauren Hemp was the best player this week. I thought that she really did a great job creating a lot of chances, and she was an explosive dribbler. Samantha Kerr obviously had the worldie of the goal, but she also was creating a lot of chances. Some of her really low was a player who came in off the bench and made such a big impact in 15 minutes, and she changed the whole game in a matter of just a few minutes after coming on, just getting the ball in the back of the net, which is something she's done consistently all tournament. And for me, that's why I think she has a very good reasoning to start in the final on Sunday. In the midfield, Katrina Gory and Jordan Stanway. Katrina Gory has... Um, 
74 ball recoveries, which is the most in this tournament, um, 12 more than Nui Hasegawa. So I think she's just been a great player for me. I really loved, obviously she had the assist for Samantha Kerr, and I could have chosen players like Ella Toon over her, who is on my bench. As you can see, the rest of the bench, again, on her Instagram. I could have chosen Toon over Gory or Stanway, but I thought that Gory was overall just... Um, it's not all about the goals, you know. I think that Gory was just a very creative player, and she created a lot of more, ch- a lot of chances. Georgia Stanway was just a really aggressive presence. I think she kind of had that like aggressive Lindsay Horan attitude that like the U.S. women have. As a comparison, that will be familiar to all of our U.S. listeners. Stanway is a player who can also dribble forward towards the back line. We saw her in the same exact matchup, Spain versus England. We saw Stanway score an incredible goal in extra time last summer in the Euros when she dribbled at that back line. And I think it'll be interesting to see whether Stanway can replicate that on Sunday. Teresa Abierria, I thought, had an incredible match. She was just dominant in the middle of the field and she silenced all of the midfield in, for Sweden. Um, didn't allow Kosovar Yaslani and Philip Engelbal a lot of space. Credit to her. She did such a good job defensively, but also making chances for her offense. Um, last, but definitely not least, the back line and the keeper. Olga Carmona, obviously, with the goal, but also just creating chances all match long. Really solid job by her. The finish was out of this world. It was extraordinary. But in general, she was also just a really good presence, getting up that left wing and really putting in dangerous crosses for her teammates. Alex Greenwood and Millie Bright, the British center back, the English centre-back pairing, I opted for them over players like Arena Paredes because I thought that they just were had better con- consistent performances. I thought they didn't really make many mistakes throughout the match. I was critical of the Sam Kergel, and I said they should have stepped sooner, but overall, just a really good match. Millie Bright with a great assist on the Lauren Hemp goal. Ona ba- Batier is my right-back, the new Barcelona full-back. Um, the Spanish player really just... I thought was a good presence on the wing for Spain. You know, she was getting up the field, but she was also making the right tackles at the right time on defense. She was a good player for building out of possession, as we talked about with the Spain, you know, having the much better passing accuracy with the center back and goalie trio. Also, Ona Batier offered another player who could play out of the back on the on the wings. Last but not least, um, Mary Earps. I offered for her over someone like Katja Cole because she didn't really make any mistakes in the game. Katja Cole, you know, gave up that goal, which was, again, a lack of goalkeeping, like, awareness she could have gotten for the ball. She didn't, and then she missed the shot. Um, but Earps, you know, the Sam Kerr goal, that's, unstoppable, that's unstoppable. But um, overall, Earps had a really nice game. She made a lot of other big saves that kept England in the match. And that's my best 11. You have to look at our Instagram to see the substitutes so thanks for listening to the review and now let's move on to the preview so whenever you're looking forward to a matchup it's always great to look back on previous games whenever spain and england have played each other it's always been very tight matches and looking in the past settings where there were competitive standards um they were always great matches going back to 2017 england beat spain in the euros to nil England beat Spain again in a women's international friendly right before the World Cup, two to one. They then lost to Spain in the in the She Believes Cup of 2020, and then in their England edition of the She Believes Cup, the Arnold Clark Cup, in 2022, they tied nil nil. Before that was before they played 
Spain and the Euros, which is the game I alluded to when talking about Georgia Stanway, and they won that match 2-1. to one. So for me, I really think that England is a team that I would favor for this match, especially with Las Quince and some of Spain's most valuable players not being at this tournament, Sandra Panos, Narpi Leon, Patrick Guharo, just to name a few, Claudia Pina, I could, the list goes on and on, obviously. And I think that tactically there's such great differences um, the tiki-taka style of Spain is so fun to watch, and it's been helping them throughout this whole tournament. Obviously, that enables their passing abilities to be much better than their competition, whereas England often likes to keep possession, but it's less of the quick passing and more of the, you know, passes in the backs and then looking for the long ball when the opportunity is allowed. So I think when watching this match, it's going to be really interesting to see the balance in both sides and really to see how these two styles contrast which both use a lot of possession it's a very possession oriented style for both teams so it'll be interesting to see which team gets more possession and dominates the match with two very different yet similar styles with the tiki-taka possession style of spain and the um slow passing at the back looking for long ball eventually style of the english when you're picking on a star player, it's really a matter of not who gets the ball in the back of the net, but who contributes to the team most, is how I see it. I don't think the star player always has to be a striker. I think it could be a midfielder, hint, hint, Spain. I think it could be really anyone on the team. I think my definition of a star in this episode isn't going to necessarily be the top goal scorer for a team. It's going to be someone who really embodies the team and really just helps them get through the thick and thin of every match. So for Spain, Aitani Bonmati is a player who I think is really a star for Spain. At just 25 years old, the amount of composure that she has in the ball, her silky smooth dribbling abilities are such a fun aspect of her game to watch. And whenever I'm watching one of Spain or Barcelona's matches, I keep on saying I want to watch her in person, whether that's for the NWSL or for, you know, um, when if Spain plays the U.S. women's national team. She looks like one of the best players in the world right now based on the way she's playing. I love how she her dribbling abilities are so dynamic, and she knows exactly what to do, it feels like, every single time she touches the ball. She knows, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Like She really knows every time she gets a touch in the ball, she knows how to get in out in and out and just dribble around people it looks so fun watching her play it looks like she's on roller skates rolling past everyone else and Alexia Puteas may have won the women's Ballon d'Or the but she hasn't exactly looked in the best form this tournament and same same goes with Jennifer Hermoso she's got off to a great start but she struggled in the last knockout match so I went with a player who whose creativity is sublime and is incredible to watch for Spain Granted, that's why I think she is the Spanish star. For England, I thought it was a lot harder of a choice in my eyes because I think this English team has so many great, talented players. You could look at a younger angle, like a Lauren James, perhaps, um, but you could look at a more experienced player who's the cornerstone of the team, like um, a Millie Bright, who's a player who, you know, maybe wouldn't be a star, but someone who really just is rock solid back there. For me, I think last summer at the Euros, Bethany Mead was definitely your star, right? You have to like take into consideration how well Beth Mead played for the Euro team. And without Beth Mead, without Leah Williamson, without Fran Kirby, there's so many injuries surrounding this women's 
England side that I thought it was really interesting to see how this team has come together as such a cohesive unit at such a young age with only just um, a few players over 30 on their roster. I think it's five is the answer, 30 and over. So it's really incredible to see how such a young team has come together in such a short amount of time under Serena Wiegmann's leadership. And I think for England, I'm going to take the cheap way out and name multiple stars, one in each line. I think Millie Bright is their defensive star. Say what you want to say, but I think she is such a rock back there in the defense. She knows how to play the perfect long passes. She's tough and aggressive. She knows exactly what to do, it feels like, at every point. And she's kind of like the person who... That's the vibe, not just for England, but also for Chelsea. She's a very calm player. She's a leader. That's why she's the captain of this roster. And for me, she's the star defender. And I think every player on this England team has such a value contribution. But if I have to pick one player who brings the leadership and embodies and helps this team to victory day in and day out, it would have to be her. Moving into the midfields, I think you could... If you were looking for the past, Fran Kirby was definitely up there for a star player. But in the present, I think Kira Walsh has been playing so well recently. Um, the Barcelona midfielder has such a composure on the ball that not many players have, similar to Aitani Bonmati. I think that Walsh is such a promising young player, just 26 years old. She's just getting started at the world's biggest stage. Her passing abilities and her way that she can break lines of the other team's defense through her dribbling and get play that final pass is so sublime and watching her play is so incredible the forward line a year ago i think everyone would have said bethany mead was their star forward but with bethany mead out i'm gonna take a little bit of a different approach i'm gonna go with lauren hemp for this one a different answer i think a lot of people would have thought oh lauren james leslie russo but i think lauren hemp really is a player who Every time I watch her play, I mean, obviously, I I don't go to games in England. I live in the U.S., so I watch her. Whenever I watch her matches on TV, I always love seeing how she can, like, get into the action and make an impact from the wing, but also tuck centrally to play those passes out wide. I think it's really incredible how much running and movement she does whenever you watch her play. You know, the heat maps, I think she really is a player who's a free-roaming winger, which I love as a fan of the game if I had a club team if I had like a club team that I owned or was a GM of she's the first player on my list as a winger I love watching her zoom in and out of defenders and at just a young at such a young age at 23 years old she's already killing it for England and for Manchester City and I can't wait to see her hopefully get a Champions League spot in the WSL so we could see her at the biggest stage in women's club football because she's making a name for herself and her mark on the women's world cup this year and i think she could be a big player in the final this time around um talking a little bit more about the tactic decisions and like the key tactical decisions and the key things about this match i talked about the styles of plays a little bit but I think a few things that come down to this match for me is England preventing Atani Bonmati getting on the ball a lot because I think the last thing England wants is to allow Spain to to create short, small, short, short and small, quick passes constantly and consistently because that is how Spain can dominate teams. We saw how they did that against Sweden. Spain is such a good team in small spaces and England just needs to make sure that they lock down all the field and try and not 
allow the Spanish players to get on the ball a lot because of the the deadly prowess that every player in that Spanish midfield has. We talked about Atani Bonmonti, but also players like Teresi, Teresa Albria. I'm going to learn that pronunciation by the final, I promise. And um, Alexia Puteas are really also good on the ball, even though Puteas hasn't had her best tournament. She's still a deadly player, and we know that. She is one of the best players in the world when she's playing at her 100% level. So for me, a key for England is to prevent Spain from getting those passes. Um, Similarly, on the offensive side of things, with passing, they need to get some short passes and control the possession on their back line. As we talked about, Alex Greenwood and Millie Bright are such great distributors of the ball and their fullbacks um typically perhaps Jess Carter, Lucy Bronze, and Rachel Daly's played there a little bit in this tournament can really just distribute and give passes to their forwards and I think that whenever I watch England's team or whether it's watching these players at club level or international level I really admire the fact that they can take control of the game and slow it down. And I think the last thing they want is themselves to be running, the defense to be running wind spins for 90 minutes, potentially 120 minutes, and allow Spain to get a lot of good passes because they know how deadly Spain can be. And so keeping possession of things is a bit really important. Lastly, for England, I think getting the ball, finding Leslie Russo or Lauren Hemp and Lauren James coming back from suspension is going to be such a big deal. They, The three of them are so deadly together when you watch them in the field. It's incredible. And they all have different attributes. Hemp and James both love running towards back lines. And Alessia Russo is such a deadly finisher that that trio can be any defense in the world. I'm very confident about that. And on Sunday, they're going to have to make sure that they can find Hemp and James in 1v1 positions where they could both use their space and kill the back lines of Spain. Moving on to Spain's tactics, I think Spain, as we talked about, they're so skillful on the ball, and I think they need to make sure they're playing really fast. They're a super fast team. They can play really quickly and fast, and I think with those short, quick passes that England are going to be trying to prevent, as I mentioned in my last segment, they need to try and execute exactly that. When they make these passes and they get going, they're unstoppable, and that's what we've seen all toward a bit long. Quick, short passes keep the ball moving and make the other teams really tired is going to be a big determinant of determining factor of whether they can lift that trophy on Sunday or not. Another thing I think is going to be really important is to allow Jenny Hermosa to drop back and get in the ball. She got a lot of touches, but they weren't very meaningful in their match against Sweden. I thought she wasn't the best player as a nine. I would rather see a player like Redondo or Gonzalez tuck in there and drop Hermoso back into the middle of the pitch because Hermoso is so talented on the ball but when she's playing forward she's constantly getting double teamed so for me Jenny Hermoso is such a special player we saw that against the Netherlands get her on the ball allow her to do her thing and don't make her get double teamed you know get put her in the right spaces as a coaching perspective for Jorge Vilda I think allowing Hermoso to have the best possibility to get on the ball in open spaces is big last but definitely not least is finding these wide areas england plays a three back right their full backs their wing backs push very far high up um very far up the pitch rachel daly and lucy bronze played that role today and the three back can really be a problem in a normal or formation 
as look, uh, viewing it tactically, if you're playing a front three for Spain, it'll be three on three, which means one on ones. So finding players like Redondo, perhaps Parolo, Del Castilla, Caldente, whoever's playing on those wings, you got to find those players and allow them to get into the 1v1 channels as center backs are not exactly the quickest for England with Bright, Greenwood, and Carter. So if you're getting 1v1 on those players, you got to capitalize that and take advantage of that. So those are my tactics for those three teams, and I hope you enjoyed this segment of the episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you found my insights in the last match and my insights on the upcoming final very valuable, and I hope that you are very excited for the Women's World Cup Final of 2023. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and be sure to follow us on our Instagram to see my prediction of this match. Peace out from your host, LDG.